Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John Miklas. I'm the lead pastor here at CCC, and it's great to have you here this morning. If you're a guest, we're honored that you've chosen to spend some of your Sunday with us, and if you uh, come here on a regular basis, glad that you're here this morning. Before we dive into the message, a few things I want to talk to you about. Um, our ushers are going to pass out some cards to you, and these cards, uh, they look like this. <clears throat> And these are cards about our Easter celebration, so they're going to give everybody one of these. Dan's going to explain a little bit more later on at the end of the service. Uh, but I want to tell you a few things about our Easter services. Um, our Sunday services on a regular basis are getting full, and so Easter is our second highest attendance services of the entire year. So we're actually going to have uh, three Easter services. The times are listed on the card. Those times are 8, 9.45, and 11.30, so none of your regular times, so everybody has to adjust, okay? 8, 9.45, and 11.30 are the times that we're going to be meeting, and uh, we're looking forward to a great morning to celebrate the day that changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything as we know it. And so uh, a few other details about that morning. Our kids' ministry is going to be running from infant through fourth grade, the same for all four services. We'll have all those uh, ministry areas during all, or excuse me, all three services. And then just like at Christmas, we're going to ask you to go to our website, cocalico.church, and sign up. There you'll see boxes you can click to uh, sign up, so we're going to encourage you to do that. And that just helps us to manage, make sure everyone has a seat. And that's what we want to make sure. We want to make sure everybody who comes has a seat. I also want to give you an update on uh, Johnny Brenner. Johnny's our worship pastor. It was actually four weeks ago today that he was in a, a very serious car accident and diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of an update on him. Um, got word from Susan this week that he is officially awake. So Johnny is officially awake. So that is great news. We're very excited. Very excited. <clears throat> As I was telling somebody the things he's having to do, it's, they said to me, it's like he's a little kid again. I was like, yeah, he was practicing his handwriting when I was there this week, you know, writing his letters in a box and trying to write a word on a line. So he's literally having to relearn everything that he has ever known in his entire life. Um, so thank you for your prayers, for your continued prayers. The next prayer is that he'll be able to go home. That's the next thing that we're praying for, that Johnny will be able to go home. And so we'd ask that you'd be praying about that as he continues his recovery. I uh, also want to thank the guys who have been stepping in to fill the gap for us and leading uh, on a weekly basis. They've done a great job. Thank you to Greg Dobb, Damian Drago, and then Chad Doe, who's leading this morning. And also want to just say thank you to a, a group that you might not even know about that... Um, there's a group of worship pastors in the area that Johnny networked with, and as soon as they heard that this happened, they contacted us, said, how can we serve you? How can we help you? How can we walk down this road with you? And um, one of the guys was actually here playing bass this morning, so we are grateful that they have come alongside us and said, we're all in this together. We're all part of the big C called church, and uh, we want to make this uh, serve you in any way that we can. So we're very, very grateful for seeing the body of Christ actually at work. Excuse me a minute. Lost my clicker. Thanks, Tim. So we are in a series entitled Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. And our goal in this series is to move past the awkward bad dates, uh, move past the forgettable roommates, and take step towards finding and cultivating a soulmate. A soulmate. And Roddy got our series started off by talking about becoming the person you are looking for is looking for. Becoming the person that you are looking for is looking for. And then Tim talked about the subject of dating and said, make Jesus your first love and he will bring you your true love. And then last week I talked about the one question that could change everything. The one question that could change everything and that's the question, how can I serve you? 
How can I serve you? Now, I hope you do better than first service, but how many of you asked this question this week? Let me see your hands. How many of you? Oh, okay, a smidge better, a smidge better than first service. So if you weren't here with us last week, go online and listen to the message. Take a picture of that. This is the question that I challenge you to ask the people in the relationships in your life. How can I serve you? Uh, For you to ask your spouse, how can I serve you? For you to ask your kids, how can I serve you? Kids, ask your parents, they'll faint and you won't have to do anything. How can I serve you? You know, um, This is the question that can change everything because it reflects a heart of humility, a heart of submission, a desire to serve others in our lives. Well, this morning we're going to wrap up, um, we're, we're going to talk about another subject on the issue of relationships, a delicate subject, not an easy subject, but an important subject, and that's the subject of sex and sexuality. And my, my desire this morning is to use my words carefully, but also to speak bluntly and directly about a subject that the culture talks about nonstop, nonstop, but the church doesn't talk about as much. And there's huge, this is a huge subject, and there's lots of aspects to it, but we're going to focus on one particular area this morning. There's an idea about, our, about sex that our culture is, per, is spreading, and the idea is this, go ahead as long as you're not hurting anyone. Go ahead and have sex as long as you're not hurting one. Find someone willing. You are willing. Just proceed. And the culture says this issue of sex, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And why do they say that? They say that sex is just physical activity. Sex is just a physical activity. It's a little bit like eating, sleeping, and working out. Just one more thing that people do. And so if you're you're hungry, what do you do? Let's try that again. If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat, right? If you're tired, what do you do? Sleep. If you need to work out, what do you do? Okay, that was a very small response. Some of you were thinking, I go eat Oreos, right? That's what I do, right? There's like eight people in the middle that said work out and one voice over here somewhere, you know? But, um, but that's what we do, right? Our body needs us and so we choose to do it or we ignore it. But then the, the, the thinking is, if I need sex, I just find someone and I make love to them. And sex is just an activity. It's just an activity. And if this is true then the church just needs to shut up. Just stop talking about it. Stop putting rules and restrictions. Stop making us feel guilty and shaming us. We just don't need that. God's just like a father who doesn't get it. The murderer of love, you know, a cosmic killjoy. He would just back off and let us enjoy our bodies the way we're designed to. We'd be much better off. Or would we? Or would we? How many have heard of the uh, new app called Tinder? How many have heard of that app? called Tinder. A few of you have. Uh, Tinder is a new, as an app designed to help you connect with people. And uh, the way this app works is you download the app, you uh, create a profile, uh, you put your picture on there, and then you see pictures of people that are in your same geographic proximity that you might want to connect to. And when you see this individual's profile come up, it's a little like a baseball card, you see this profile come up, you swipe left if you don't want anything to do with them, and you swipe right if you're interested in connecting. And if you swipe right and they swipe right, then you connect. It seems like an interesting way to make connections. Well, let me tell you a little bit of how popular Tinder has become. So, uh, Tinder, there's 20 billion matches made with Tinder. 1.6 billion swipes per day. 26 million matches per day, 1.5 million dates per week. That's a lot of connection. That's a lot of connection just by swiping on an app. But this app has become something more than just swiping to make connection. Because people are not using it just to find a date, they're using it to hook up. And for many, the goal is sex. 
No big deal. It's just a physical thing. Right? Or maybe not. Maybe not. Vanity Fair ran an article on the subject of Tinder, and they asked some guys about it. And this is what some guys said. One guy said, it's like ordering Seamless, an online food delivery service, but you're getting a person instead. Another guy said, uh, when she spoke to the people who want to be in a relationship, I don't want one, said Nick. I don't have to deal with all that relationship stuff. Brian says, you can't be selfish in a relationship. But with Tinder, it just feels good to do what I want. So just the guys in this hookup culture about sex, look at what the women have to say. There's no dating. There's no relationship, Amanda says. They're rare. You could have a relationship that would last six or seven or eight months, and you can never call someone your boyfriend. Hooking up is a lot easier. No one gets hurt. Well, not on the surface. One of Amanda's friends chimes in, sex should steam from emotional intimacy, and it's the opposite with us right now. I think it is really kind of destroying females' self images. Maybe it's more than just a physical thing. When I grew up, I knew that sex was for married people. And in my teen years, as I was experiencing all the changes. I didn't really know it or understand it all. And my mother handed me a book to read, and that even further confused me, you know, um, on the subject of sex. And, uh, you know, I just heard, you know, don't do that, don't have sex, you know, that's, that's it. And so for me, that was the only reason. There wasn't anything associated with it other than I knew if I did, my parents would kill me. You know, that was the only thing that probably the thing that kept me from sinning, you know. Um, but I made a commitment not to be involved in that. And to save myself for, uh, for marriage. And, but that's how I made that decision back at that time. And so this morning as I talk to you about this subject, I want to talk to you about it and hopefully give you an understanding, not only from our culture that's struggling with this, but from something that the Bible has to say, that God has to say about this issue as well. In a day and a culture where they were wrestling with it, hard to believe as much as our culture is wrestling with it today. Here's a question for you to ask yourself. Has sex outside of marriage made my life better or more complicated? Has sex outside of marriage made my life better or more complicated? And let me just expand this beyond this issue. Let me add anything that has sexual innuendos around it. So sexting, porn, sex matches, it is a secret Instagram account, sneaking out, sleeping together, living together. Did it make your life better or more complicated? Did it make you a better man or woman? Or not as good of a man or woman? Did it bring you more shame? Or make you more alive? Did it make you feel more prized? Or more used? Did it make you a better mother or father? Or worse mother or father? Make you more happy or more sad? Make you more complete? Or less complete? You see, all the sexual freedom that our culture is saying we should have and experience, we don't end up with more happiness, we end up with less. More baggage, more brokenness. And the culture is not going to stop spinning this thing, it's just physical. It's just physical. And that God's a cosmic killjoy ruining our fun. But I think what I would argue with you is that what the culture's selling and what the culture's telling you is not making things better, it's actually making things worse. It's making things worse. You know, as I was thinking about the, this, this whole idea of, of sexuality, because our culture spins it as a, something that's fun, as something that's playful, as something that's enjoyable, as something where there's very little harm. That's how our culture spins it. And um, I thought, what is something like that in our culture? And I thought of snakes, you know. 
Because um, there are snakes, and those, are, those snakes are harmless, right? A garter snake, a rat snake, a black those snakes can't hurt you. They're harmless, right? Now, some of these, are, they're not, even if they're not harmless, I wouldn't touch them, but they can't really hurt you. They can't really hurt you. Um, but then there are snakes that would hurt you, that are venomous, cottonmouth, coral snake, diamondback. Um, now, let me ask in the room this, this morning, how many of you know the difference between a venomous and non-venomous snake? Let me see your hands. Okay, there's more than I would have thought, you know, more than I would have thought. You people live outdoors. I don't go outdoors very much, but... You know, I, I did a little research. And I found, well, you can look at their eyes, you know, and figure out, oh, is that venomous or non-venomous? Let me see. I'm, you know, I'm like, play with the thing. Oh, is it or not? You know, I mean, the reality is, is you don't, I mean, some of you know, it's shape of the head. I know there's other, other ways. I still would never remember that. I can't figure out what's poison ivy and what's not, but that's just me. Um, sorry, a little rabbit trail there, but... Um, you know, snakes, they might look harmless, but you, if, you, if you make the wrong, if you think one isn't, and it is, it could do what? It could kill you, right? It could kill you. You don't know the difference. But initially, they may appear to be playful and harmless. They're just slithering around. They're not, and that's what our culture wants us to believe about sex. Every movie, every couple that's hooking up, everything you see this, it's fun and it's playful and there's no harm, no foul. We just go on with life. Well, Paul wrote a letter uh, to a group of people in a church in the city of Corinth, and um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to turn there in your Bible or your Bible app, that's the page number in the Bible in your seat there. And, and this city of Corinth, it was a lot like uh, New York City. It was a place where everything converged. Um, it's a place where philosophy and thought converge. It's a place where uh, shipping and commerce converge. It's a place where art and theater converge. All these things. It's a place where religion converge. All these things converge in the city of Corinth. It was a city where you could find or get anything that you wanted at any time. And the place that we would think about that would be like would be New York City. Anything you want, anytime, Right? And so Paul's writing to this church, and he's writing this letter to a group of individuals who decided they want to follow Jesus. But they live in this culture, and they know that's the way you live. And Paul's saying, well, if you follow Jesus and you make him the king of your heart, and you make him the ruler of your world, you're going to make some different choices. You're going to live in some different ways. And so Paul's letters were to explain to them how God wanted them to live. The book of 1 Corinthians probably isn't the first letter that Paul wrote, but it's a letter where he talks about some things that he went and instructed them, and then he left, and then he got a report back. And as he got this report back, he heard some things, and he said, okay, I've got to fix some things. They got a little mixed up in translation. They got lost in translation. And so that's literally what the whole book of 1 Corinthians is, the stuff that got lost in translation that Paul's trying to clarify. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, he's trying to address this issue of sexuality. And in verse 12, he says this. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say. It's a quote. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Another quote. But I will not be mastered by anything. That first phrase, I have the right to do anything, that's likely something Paul said. He probably said it to the people. But he didn't say it in the context of talking about the issue of sexuality. He was talking about all the rules and the laws in the Old Testament. And he said to them, you don't have to follow all the rules and the laws. You can live free in Christ and you can do anything as long as your heart is towards God and loving Him and others is at the center of your being. There's nothing off limits that you can't do because that's going to drive and control everything. That's likely what Paul said. 
But they did what any good high schooler would do, and they picked one phrase out of a conversation and applied it somewhere else, right? That's what high schoolers like to do, you know? You said that, Mom and Dad. I know I said it, but not about that. Not about this, you know? It was about something else, you know? They take those words and they slide them in another slot, right? That's what the Corinthians were doing. They took this phrase, I can do anything, that Paul was talking about, all these rules, and they slid it in the slot of their sexuality. I can do anything. I can do anything. Paul says, but not everything is good for you, and you shouldn't be controlled by everything. He said, you're, you're kind of a little distorted in your thinking, in the way that you're looking at this. Um, he goes on, <clears throat> and what Paul's trying to help them understand is this whole idea of sexual intimacy, is that sexual intimacy is powerful. It's powerful. Um, it's a little bit like a fire. Um, you know, a fire ring at night, kind of a warm, inviting place, you know, whether it's a campfire, if you're out camping, maybe you've got a fire ring in your backyard, you kind of sit around the fire, you share stories, it might actually produce a little bit of warmth, right? Uh, A fire around a campfire is something that's very warm and inviting. But in an instant, something that's warm and inviting can be devastating and wipe you out completely, can't it? You know, as a kid growing up, we, uh, we lived in a wooded area, five-acre wooded lot, and our house was on the front of it. And um, one of the things my mom always had us do was clean up leaves in the fall. And I didn't understand why we had to clean up leaves. Now they know they just decompose and rot, and it's good for the soil. I wish she would have known that back then. But um, we raked up, you know, leaves all the time, every fall. And so we didn't have any place to take them. So in those days, you just burned them. So we had, we'd make piles, and we'd burn up the leaves, and and uh, I remember one time we burned up the leaves and we went, we went inside. We thought we were done. We thought we put the fire out. And um, we woke up the next morning and what we didn't know is overnight the wind had kicked up, which it can do at night. And when we woke up, all the woods away from our house were scorched. Fortunately, the wind didn't turn. It would have consumed our house. But that little fire that was helpful, it was burning up the leaves, it could have easily destroyed everything that we had there. And intimacy is like that. It's like a fire inside the ring. It's a good thing. It's a warm thing. It's an inviting thing. But outside, it can bring damage and death and destruction. Inside, it can draw people closer towards one another. But outside, it creates pain and heartache and brokenness. And intimacy, sexual intimacy is powerful. It's powerful. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. God's going to destroy them both. They're not going to last. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Paul's talking about the same thing about appetites and desires. Because they were saying, well, we just have food. Paul's like, well, food's not, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. But your physical being, that, your, your spirit, your soul, that's going to last. And then he has this phrase, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Paul's basically saying that God designed sex. God offered that to men and women as a way to experience intimacy with one another. And this was his intent. This was his purpose. God's not a killjoy or a prude. But when used the way God designed it, it's something incredibly meaningful. You know, my son, when he was younger, he had this propensity to take anything he could find and use it for a, it's not a, a purpose it was not designed for. So like um, knives that you eat with at meals, they're not designed to dig holes with them, you know. But he saw a knife and he needed to dig a hole, so why wouldn't you use the knife to dig a hole? You know, parents with boys are like, yes, of course, they do that with everything, you know. Um, you know, he's not MacGyver, you know, he can't make it magically transform. 
But what Paul's saying here is he's saying, you've got a car, you don't use it as a boat. If you've got a boat, you don't use it as a car. He said, God's given you your body, and we're going to talk a little bit about the purpose of that body a little bit later, but he says here, he says, it's not meant for this purpose. It's not meant for this purpose. Our bodies are an incredible gift that God has given to us. Well, then he goes on to talk about not only is sexual intimacy powerful, um, but it's also deep, it's also spiritual. It's also spiritual. In verse 15, he says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Your bodies are members of Christ himself. What Paul is talking about, and he's saying, he's explained this in lots of other places, that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you choose to say, God, I want to, uh, I believe who you are, I believe what Christ has done for me, and I want to give my life to follow you, you link arms with God. You are part of his family. You are one of his own. A few verses later, he's going to talk about that God's spirit actually comes and lives inside of us. You are linked together with Christ. Paul says, if you're linked together, should you also unite with a prostitute? You're thinking, prostitution? That was going on in that day with the Christ followers? Well, prostitution was part of their religious practice. You say, what are you talking about, John? Well, in those days, there was temples to all the, the Greek goddesses, temple to goddess Diana. And in these temples, there would be prostitutes because there was a, a way of thinking. It was from the Greeks that influenced their way of thinking where they're they separated what they, they would think about and what their bodies could do. You say, what do you mean think about what their bodies could do? Basically what they would do is they say, I'm going to do this with my body, and they would convince their mind that it was okay. Total separation, total separation. And so that's what they were doing in this area of sexuality. Well, I know it's wrong, but Paul said I can do any, everything is okay, so I'm just going to go, everybody else is doing it, I'm just going to go have sex with this prostitute, and it's just physical anyway, it won't matter. Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, you're linked with Christ. You're linked with God. And you're going to link yourself with a prostitute? You know, this whole idea of being connected to God is, and, and connected to, to Christ is something that's incredibly meaningful for people when they choose to follow Jesus. I hear people say often to me, John, one of the things that having a relationship with Jesus changes is God is always with me. He's with me in the hard times. He's with me in the good times. He's always there walking with me no matter what. But the truth is, God's also with you and I when we walk away from God, when we turn our backs on God, when we sin, when we do things selfishly that just we want. We want. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, he says, do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute? Look what he says there, is one with her in body. Paul said, this is not just physical. He says, there's a uniting that takes place when they come together. There's this mystical, this transcendent, this supernatural event that takes place. Scientists tell us that during sexual intimacy, there's a re release uh, in our brains, a neurochemical that gets released called um, oxytocin. 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 And when this chemical gets released, it forges emotions and feelings of attachment and love. It creates this sense of being glued together during that time. And that's an incredibly meaningful benefit in the intimacy of marriage, where you share purpose and life and belonging and joy with one another. But see, these individuals were saying, it's no big deal, it's just physical. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. 
There's something deeply spiritual. Do you not know you're connected to God in Christ and then you're going to connect with a prostitute? He says, the two will become one flesh. He actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis where God talks about this whole concept of marriage where it was started. He says, the two become one. Two become one. Now, he's not saying that they're married here because then they haven't left father and mother and cleaved to one another. They're just engaging in that physical intimacy. Um, But he said, the two become one. And he goes on to say, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. In order to help us wrap our minds around this whole idea of being um, woven together and bonded together, I want you to watch this short video that describes, uh, that displays how um, multiple colors are merged together in glass. Watch this video. Beads of colors are now woven and merged into this glass as totally um, bonded and united together as one. I'll show you this part, it's really cool. Thanks, guys. So you can see what they do is they take these colors and these colors are merged together in glass. And once they're merged together, they're together, right? They're together. And I've got a vase up here very similar to the ones that you saw there. And you can see there's different colors that were merged together. You know, there's some some light colors and some dark colors and they're merged together. And our culture says that it's just physical. It doesn't matter. And we just have this experience and then we walk away. But God says, no, there's something powerful and there's something spiritual about this. And we say, well, I could just walk away from that. And God says, no, you can't just walk away from it. Because if we were to take this glass and say, I just want to walk away from it. I just want to separate the colors. That's all I want to do is just separate them. What would it take to do that? Well, can I separate them now? Can I separate them now? They didn't separate, did they? They didn't separate. And what happens when We try to pursue intimacy outside of God's design. And then we try to separate those colors. We try to separate that oneness that God has created. It costs us. And it does this to our soul. It does this to our soul. And it messes with us spiritually and relationally and emotionally. And if I didn't have these gloves on, it would do what to my hands? It might what? Cut my hands and I might bleed because of that and you can't put the pieces of this together without some kind of damage and without incredible cost see our culture says oh you can just break up and you can move on and you'll be fine that's what our culture says and God says no you can't just break up and separate if you've been involved sexually without it tearing apart your soul without it tearing apart your soul And so God says sex is something that's not just physical, it's powerful, it's deeply spiritual. But he also says, lastly, that it's deeply personal. It's deeply personal. When we're bonded together in intimacy, to break it apart will cause damage. 
Paul goes on to say this in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Culture says it's just physical. It'll be fine. You'll be okay. Paul says you are sinning against yourself. This is deeply, deeply personal because it leaves an imprint on the other person. You see, sexual intimacy, when handled carefully, allows for this amazing expression of God's design for a man and a woman to commit themselves together fully with every part of their being. And when not handled, it does what? It leaves scars that are going to cause pain in your life for a long time. It's not the worst sin. It's not the worst sin. But it's sin at a very deep level because we're literally taking an axe to the tree of our soul. Some of you carry around some of these scars in your life. Um, some of these scars maybe things that someone did to you and they didn't respect you when you said no. Maybe some of these scars are when someone abused their power and their position and their size and they took advantage of you and they abused you and you carry around these scars. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about this. The reason I talk about it is because there's a Savior who loves you, who has scars that He carries around in His hands. And He came to this earth to heal the hearts that are broken and to release the captives that are in bondage. It's intensely personal. It's intensely per personal. And our culture says it's physical. Do what you want. I'm just getting experience. I'm trying this out. I'm trying to see if we're going to be a match. I'll stop this when I get married. But it's not just religious. It's a reality. It's a reality. Two Hollywood stars, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Chris Pratt, were in this movie called Passengers, and they were interviewed after the movie and at a round table. And she was asked, what's the hardest part about being an actress? She said uh, she had to be in a sex scene. And she said, it was done right. It was just bizarre. And the reporter says, how would you prepare for it? She said, the only way I knew to prepare for it is I had to get myself so drunk I couldn't remember anything that happened. And then I was filled overwhelmingly with anxiety and I thought, what have I just done? What have I just done? And she said this. She said, guilt is like the worst feeling in your stomach. I know it was my job, but I couldn't tell my stomach that. And so I called my mom and said, will you just tell me it's okay, mom? Isn't the church saying this? Isn't the religious community saying this? Isn't the media saying this? about sex outside of marriage. Can you just tell me it's okay? Even though my soul feels pretty scarred up right now. I don't think actors who are in fight scenes talk about any moral struggles at the end of the movie. At least I haven't heard stories or reports of them. Why? Because sex is so much more than physical. It's powerful. It's spiritual. And it's deeply, deeply personal. 
I read this statement. It said this, Sex reflects the most intimate of interpersonal relations among humans. It should be reserved for the most permanent of interpersonal commitments. Sex reflects the most intimate of interpersonal relations among humans. It should be reserved for the most permanent of interpersonal commitments. You know, when Paul's writing these words, he's not writing these words to the whole culture. He's not telling the culture you shouldn't live like this. He's not saying that to the culture. Culture can live however they choose. He's saying this to people who've chosen to follow Jesus. They've chosen to follow Jesus. And I think these next two verses might be the two most important verses of this segment, of this section, because he said in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? He's in you, like we talked about earlier. You are not your own. It says, if you're a Christ follower, your body doesn't belong to. Your body's a temple. What do you do at a temple? It's a place of what? Worship. It's a place of worship. And God says, your body is designed for you to meet with God, for you to experience God's presence and His power inside of your life. And then He goes on to say this. He says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Sexual intimacy is powerful. It's like a wildfire. It's spiritual. It's connected with God and another person in more than physical ways. And it's deeply personal. As I thought about this passage, and I thought about why is this so important? Why is this so important? Are there damaging effects? Even our culture is saying there's damaging effects. Are there long-term consequences? Everything is saying there's long-term consequences. But for the person who's a follower of Jesus, if that's where your heart is today, and if you long to follow Him, He says this, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. You're incredibly valuable. You were made in God's image after His likeness. You're a unique, one-of-a-kind person. There's no one else's DNA in this world who's ever lived who will match yours. And God loved you so much, He won a relationship with you, not only now, but forever. But that couldn't happen because of this barrier between God and us called our sin. Our desire to go our own way, say, I don't need God, I don't want God. And God said, I'm going to do everything I can to take away every barrier between me and the people that I've created, that I love, that I made in my image. And so the only way he could get rid of that barrier is to send someone to take on themselves all of our sin, and that was Jesus when he was on the cross. He paid for all of our sin. It cost God something. It cost him his one and only son to give up his life so that you and I can have a relationship with Him. And He says, will you accept what I've done for you? And if you've done that, He says, you were bought at a price. Your life cost God what He treasured the most. And then He says, for that reason, for that reason, I want you to honor God with your bodies. Not just with your minds, not just with your minds, with your body. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And he says, will you honor God with your bodies? As we close this morning, I want to talk to three different groups. I want to talk, first of all, to our students. Um, and I want to just say to students this, don't flirt with disaster. Don't flirt with disaster. What does Paul say? He says, you should flee. You say, who should I flee from, John? Who should I flee from? You should flee from guys and girls who joke about sex. You're like, well, that's all my friends. 
Maybe you need to find some new friends. You should flee from any guy or from any girl who pressures you to get physical in the relationship. Any guy or any girl that wants you to watch sex scenes in movies, you need to run from them. You need to run, run, run from them. And don't just run away from that, but when you are running, remind yourself that you are running away from that because you are running towards a relationship with a spouse that you hope to have one day. You're running away from that because you want to run and you want to stand at an altar before them, whoever they might be, and witnesses and say, I waited and I saved myself to offer myself fully in a relationship with you. Fully and run towards something better. And I want to challenge you, set boundaries in your life. Don't just say no to sex, but I want you to do more than that. I want you to honor God with your body. You know, sometimes we try to take things to the barest minimum to get our kids to agree, right? Okay, if you just agree to this, we'll be okay, you know. Please, just this one thing, right? God says no. God says it way up here. He says, I want you to honor God with your whole body. Honor God with your whole body. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And what does that mean you're going to say yes to? And what does that mean you're going to say no to? Parents, talk about sex with your kids and talk about sex often. You're like, it makes me uncomfortable. Well, join the club. Join the club. Think it's fun standing up here talking to you guys about it? It's hard. It's hard. And so having these conversations, it's hard. Nothing easy about it. Nothing easy about it. Parents, you've got to talk to your boys about how to deal with porn. Porn's hunting them down. It used to be behind the counter, behind the, the, you know, the, the barricade there, and it was something covering up the pictures. It hunts them down. You have to teach your boys how to deal with this, the sexual images that they're bombarded with, and talk about not just avoiding their eyes of, of seeing that, which is an important thing, but talk to them about guarding their hearts. Talk to them about stirring up in this, stirring up inside. Teach them to value and treasure the heart of a girl and not objectify her the way our culture does. And you do this best by the way you love your spouse well. And men, by the way, you love your wives well. Teach your girls that their value is not from the attention of a boy, but from them being the daughter of a king. Teach her that her worth comes from not whether she's in a relationship or not, but who she is. And make sure she knows that and hears that from you over and over and over again. Partner with our church. Our student ministry talks about this often with our students. Our group leaders are aware of this and attentive to this and engaging our students in this arena. Um, don't avoid this just because it's awkward. You do it at the peril of this happening to your kid's soul. And lastly, to adults. If you're involved sexually outside of your marriage, whether you're married or not, you're playing with fire, if you're glued to a screen when you think everyone else is asleep, your way is hurting other you, others, and it's going to wreck your future relationships. It's going to wreck them. But the amazing thing is, is whatever you choose becomes part of your story. And you can ask yourself the question, what story do I want to be told of my life? I say, but John, you don't understand. I've made some mistakes in the past. I know what you're talking about. It is not just physical. And it feels really heavy. Well, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he says, you can start again today. And it all starts right here at the cross. It starts at the cross. 
You can run to the cross where God hung all of our sins, all of the broken hearts, all the scarred souls, and you can take them to Him. The verse that Jesse read earlier, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. When you bring this to Him, God says, He reaches out with open arms and says, You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Is it possible to put this vase back together? It's in this bag? Is it possible? What do you think? Yes or no? It's possible. A lot of care, right? Someone incredibly, incredibly patient, right? Is it going to look like the original? No. Will it function in the way that it should? It could. It's going to take a lot of work. And so even if this is part of your story, even if this is part of your past, God can heal it. He can restore it. It's what he specializes in. If you have hidden secrets, don't let them be hidden any longer. Sin in secret only grows. Say that again. Sin in secret only grows. Sin exposed the light of truth and the light of God has the power to be destroyed. So no matter where you are in your journey, no matter what your story is, I hope you walk away remembering that sin is, sex is not just physical. It's powerful. It's intimate. It's deeply spiritual. And it affects us. I invite you to bow your heads as we wrap up this morning. And, and as we do, I just want you to talk to God about where your heart is right now. Um, if there's sexual sin going on in your life, if you're struggling with porn, if you're involved in relationships that are outside of that boundary of marriage, are you willing to just say, God, I need to, I need to do something about this. I need to confess it. If you've got scars from your past, can you say, God, I need healing from it? And maybe for you today is just a commitment to say, God, I, I want to honor you with my body. Whether you're married or not. That's the commitment that God invites you to make today. God, this is a hard subject to talk about. It's hard to wade into these difficult issues, but... This has been our, part of our culture for centuries. And God, you designed us in a way in the relationship of marriage to experience sexual intimacy in a way that is deep, rewarding, fulfilling, and life-giving. And so God, I pray that even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's hard to grab hold of that, that those listening this morning would say, God, I'm going to trust you on this one. I'm going to trust you on this one. And I'm going to be willing to wait and honor you with my body. God, for those that have this as part of their past, as part of their story, 
I pray that you would give them an amazing sense of your grace and your mercy, um, your forgiveness. And that, God, you long to do more than anything to rebuild and restore the brokenhearted. And it's our prayer that you would do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Wash in the blood of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. It's hard to even wrap our minds around, for me, that how your death could make this possible. But it does. And it gives us hope. And it offers the potential for healing. Only through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. God, help us this morning to bring the pain and the heartache and the wounds and the scars from our lives fully and completely to you. We need your help to do this. It's incredibly hard to do this on our own. We need you, Jesus, in your name.